We made this. You're listening to Free With This Month's Issue. As always, please support the bands and artists featured in each episode by buying their records and going to their gigs. Each episode will be adding all available tracks to our ongoing Spotify playlist, which you can find on WeDidPodcast.com. You can also find our other episodes and podcasts there. If you want to agree with us or more likely argue with us or even appear in a future episode, you can find us on Twitter at This Month's Issue and Facebook at Free With This Month's Issue. Also, if you enjoy the podcast, then let people know. Like, subscribe, review it on iTunes, tattoo it on your forehead, etc. Right, let's get on with it then. Hello, and welcome to Free With This Month's Issue. I am Ian. I have a bit of a cough. It may become obvious. This is Colin. Hello. I haven't... I'm alright. Well, vaguely. This is a podcast where we talk about free magazine CDs. And tapes. Fuck me, it's a tape today. I didn't even know. That's the twist of this podcast, is that Colin doesn't tell me. I (laughs) never know what I'm about to be confronted with, which is simultaneously (laughs) amazing and shit. (laughs) It was your idea. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I uh, apparently just like torturing myself. We have a guest, don't we, Colin? We do. That's another twist. It's it's not really a twist because we have a guest every episode. Not a twist. It's not a surprise. Like, if you listened to this before, if you haven't, it is a surprise. So, yeah, this is the first of two episodes this month with the same guest. We have Stephen from Kerrang! Back Issues. How are you doing, Steve? Hello. I'm good. I'm good, thank you. Uh, thanks for having me back on. And that was, I've got to say, that was a really excellent intro. One of one of the best, I've got to say. Very good. <laughs> I try my best. <laughs> we're known for our professional intros. Yeah. Oh, always, always. So we're sort of lining up with Kerrang! Back Issues this week and next week because there were two tapes with Kerrang! The issues that you're talking about on your episodes this week. So exactly 27 years ago this week, both of them came out. What are we talking about, Stephen? We're talking about Supersonic Volume 1 and Supersonic Volume 2. We are. Yeah. I actually had both of these. Really? And me. There we are. I've been looking forward to these two since we started the podcast. Yeah, these are mm, okay. these are good tapes. These are really good tapes. So, for a bit of context, October 12th, 1996, that particular week, or that month, Music News, it was the same month as Metal Hammer Brutal Bunch 3 that we covered in our second ever episode. Yeah. So the news slash announces via fax that he's officially leaving Guns N' Roses. Via fax. Yes. Which, from a Kerrang! Back Issues episode a few weeks ago, that seemed quite obvious, because Slash seemed really pissed off in that interview. Slash was talking about how Axl Rose sees Guns N' Roses as his solo project, which is why I think he was so pissed, because he's just like, it's not... Yeah, it's not a solo project, it's our band. I, I think that's why he went off and did Slashy Snake Pit and all that other stuff, because he was just like, I can't be bothered with this yeah. anymore. It's awful. Ian Brown and Manny officially dissolved the Stone Roses. Not in acid, just dissolved the band officially. If someone had dissolved Ian Brown in fucking acid, that would have been fine. <laughs> yeah, fair. And there's a large fight outside London Astoria between venue security and NoFX fans after heavy-handed security start kicking fans out of the venue. And Ozzy Osbourne starts up Oz Records, which goes on to release a live Ozfest compilation and nothing else. So, not a prolific label. I think I have that live at Ozfest CD, though. Was it the one with a lenticular cover? I think I remember one with a lenticular cover where Ozzy moved when you moved it. Uh, maybe. I just don't know what the fuck lenticular is, Colin. Oh, right. It's where, you know the things where you've got, like, it's like a hologram, but it's lines, and it's like sort oh. of prisms. 
Okay. And when you move it, it's got two different images. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's lenticular. Like the original Independence Day video cover. Now I know, yes. Where it got the White House blowing up. Albums released that month. Nirvana from the Muddy Banks of the Wishka. They Might Be Giants, Factory Showroom. The Lemonheads, Car Button Cloth and Corn Life is Peachy. On tour that month, Metallica and Corrosion of Conformity, which was my first ever gig without my parents. The Prodigy, Radiohead, Suede, Pearl Jam, Fuji's, Rocket from the Crypt and Mike Flowers Pops. UK number one single was Setting Sun by the Chemical Brothers and the UK number one album was Natural by Peter Andre. Fuck. In the magazine, obviously you'll have already heard Stephen's episode, hopefully if you haven't, go and listen to it. But Reefer on the cover, there's interviews with Metallica, Black Crows and Amanda from Fluffy, plus live reviews of A, Cooler Shaker and Space Hog and album reviews from Korn, 311 and Carcass. Let's get on with the first track then. Okay. So this is Curb Dog and On The Turn. I absolutely love this song. Yeah, I thought it was Curb Dog. They're essentially the Irish helmet. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I enjoyed this song because I really like helmet. Yeah. Curb Dog are brilliant. They're such a good band. This album is fantastic. Yeah, absolutely amazing band. I really think on this album, they really upped the ante from the first album. So you can really hear the difference in, like, songwriting. Like, the self-titled album is okay, but On The Turn... Yeah. It's such a good album. And yeah, they, you can just tell that they've been like really honing their songwriting, their skills, like everything. Like the arrangements went up in quality. Like it's basically just all got better. It's just, I always feel yeah. such a shame for Curb Dog that things like, they just never went on to bigger things. They they should have been big. I say this about a lot of bands <laughs> that we talk about on, yeah, this, yeah. Uh, on this podcast. There's so many bands on there that you think, but they really are one that I think should have been huge and they just never quite did it and i don't know why well part of what it was is they got completely fucked over by mercury records this album was repeatedly delayed before finally being released in march 1997 when it was due to come out i think summer 96 was when it was originally supposed to be released and then when they put it out they did hardly any promotion at all and then mercury dropped them and deleted the back catalog so you know they couldn't even build up any momentum after that they, they yeah. tried to get a new record deal, uh, apparently reportedly with DreamWorks Records, but Mercury were they were charging a ridiculous amount of money for DreamWorks to have the rights to the pr- first two albums. So DreamWorks basically uh. said, you know, that's that's not going to work then if we can't have your albums that have already got this little bit of momentum to build on. So that fell through, and they split up a few months later. So uh, yeah, Mercury Records fucked them. But then wow. uh, Cormac Battle and uh, Dara Butler immediately formed Wilt as soon as they split up. They were pretty good, but I always thought they were a watered-down version of Curb Dog. Yeah, they never quite they, did it for me. They were never as good. Yeah, which is a shame. I know they, um, they were a bit, I think, bit softer, weren't they? I was say, yeah, they were a bit softer, and it was just a bit, eh, yeah, not much going on. I know um, Curb Dog got back together this year. I think it was 25 yes. years of On The Turn. 2023, when you're obviously listening to this podcast. 
Um, and I think that whole tour sold out, which obviously for them is brilliant. It's kind of t- yes. 25 years later, people finally, like, they finally get the sort of recognition they deserve then, which is a bit sad, but you know, yeah. that's nostalgic rock, isn't it? It's what happens. <laughs> well, that, that's it. And in a way, it is a good thing because it means that, you know, a quarter of a century later, we all us lot in our forties are, are rebuying the re- the albums when they're reissued. There's yeah. like coming up in between now and Christmas, there are about five albums that I've wanted for absolutely years that are all suddenly being reissued on vinyl for the first time. Which means that I I've got to decide which ones to get because I can't afford to get all of them after waiting you know decades for for some of them. Uh, but I finally got Captain by Idlewild on the way this month, so uh, that's very exciting. Nice, nice. <laughs> right, let's go on to the next one. Yep. Sometimes I like to get on my bike and ride, ride beside the river, stop beside the pilot. I'm beginning to think that Gaz from Track One Side One podcast and True Cult Pop podcast may have had some kind of hand in programming this particular tape because we had Curb Dog first and now we've got Symposium and Disappear. There was a lot of press at the time about Symposium's alcohol intake. It was just a lot of press about fucking Symposium at the time, wasn't there? You couldn't yeah. go ten steps without falling over fucking a picture of Wojtek or whatever. Well, they, they were ace, but there, there was so much press about them drinking alcohol all the time. There's a lyric in this about riding his bike and going and having a pint somewhere which I never understood how they even got served because they all looked about 12. <laughs> yes, they, were, they very much they did. They were 18, definitely, but yeah, they all look like children. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, a, it's a strange one. Yeah, Symposium were everywhere at this time. And um, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm a bit disappointed in myself that I never really gave them the time that I think they deserved, which is, it's, it's, it's a bit strange for me because I used to love all of that sort of like US punk, like Epitaph, Fat Wreck kind of stuff. Yeah, and I think Symposium would have fit like perfectly with one of those. But I think because they're English, I just kind of dismissed them a little bit at the time, <laughs> which is such a shame because, like, you know, I'm, I can't believe I'm guilty of doing that because there was that whole like Brit rock movement, wasn't there? About you know, love British music yeah. and support your local bands. But I mean, at this point, I was 15 and I just didn't have enough money to buy every record and. <laughs> Annoyingly, all of- and you're like, fucking, I'm not listening to those children. What the <laughs> yeah, fuck? Exactly. Well, you say that, but I love Dash, but that was that was a different one. But yeah, you just, I don't know why. I just, I just never really. I mean, I think it was Fairweather Friend. The single was everywhere. That was yes. on MTV, and they used to be on the box all the time. If anyone remembers the box, and um, yeah, I thought that song was brilliant, but I just never bought their album, and I, I just don't know why. Yeah. I, I kick myself. I kick myself now. Me me and my cousin Tom, who I tend to mention a lot because we were hanging out loads at this sort of time. All the time. That's that's because at this time, I was hanging out with him loads. Um, We used to to buy anything that Symposium or A released. They were like our two bands that we were really obsessed with. And, you know, they were one of the first bands where I wanted to buy every single, you know, all of the formats of all of the singles and stuff like that. And uh, listening back 27 years later, there's bits I like, but I, I just don't get on too well with Ross Cummins' vocals these days. I think it's because he still sounds like a teenager, and which I was mm-hmm. was that at the time. 
but when you're listening to it in your 40s, it's a bit like, yeah, I'm not not quite digging this as much as I used to. <laughs> yeah, it's quite <laughs> Which is a like, shame. It's quite saccharine sweet, isn't it? It's quite sort of yeah, yeah, like sort of like teeny pop kind of stuff. But I don't know. I feel like they're one of those bands, and they sort of sing about growing up, and they they make me yeah. feel a nostalgia for a time that I didn't actually live through, or I like I didn't have growing <laughs> up. And I, it's it's really weird. I get this like. Like listening to this on this tape, I was getting this like strange feeling of being like a teenager again. Even though this wasn't a band that I listened to when I was a teenager, and I, you know, for me, I think that's quite good music if it takes you somewhere. Whether it's you know, yeah, pop music or whatever, yeah, yeah. I'm like, you know what? That's actually they've actually done something. They stirred something in this like rotten old heart of mine. <laughs> 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 it's pretty good. Well done, Symposium. You know, good. 2023 got me excited about a song about band again i like it no i like i do do get excited by music it's just hard in your 40s isn't it it's hard to get as excited as you did when you were 15 it's just a very different feeling yeah i mean i i I definitely still do uh and with over the last six years doing weedig music i've definitely got it back i think because we're always looking for what our best of the year is so we're always looking for new music and stuff which helps yeah but uh right let's go for the next song righty ho This is Lodestar, and wait a minute. Lodestar were a band formed by Hytham Al-Sayed, John Morgan, and their sound engineer, Haggis, when they left Sensor in 1996. I knew I knew that name. Yeah, I don't think I took in that they were ex-members of Sensor at all at the time, because it was before I started going to the jailhouse, so I didn't know Age of Panic yet. Ah, but every single thing, every review, every interview went, ex-members of Sensor... Yeah, and I think I went, I don't know who Sensor are, I'll ignore that. No, that's fair. <laughs> it's really strange listening to High From Outside singing, because I only know him as the rapper from Sensor. Like, yes. I, I knew Sensor really well, because uh, my older brother loved him. So my older brother's four years older than me, so he was in that sweet yeah. spot of being a teenager in the early 90s. So he was all over yeah. all over Sensor. But I just can't believe it was him singing. Um, yeah, really, really different to, to what Sensor did. Um, the intro, I think, is an absolute rip-off of uh, Do I Need This by Apes, Pigs and Spacemen. It sounds yes, like yes. almost identical. Uh, and then it sort of sounds like Alice in Chains, which is kind of great, yeah. you know. Uh, and they've got that really, like, tight 90s, like, piccolo snare, which I love. I love that rap, really, like, yeah, yeah. sort of that tight, hollow hollow snare sound. I, I, I like this. I thought it was a good song. Um, not so sure about the... The shouty bit, hold it another minute, wait another minute, or whatever he's saying. That bit. Well, that yeah, that bit. bit was particularly shit. Yeah. I like the rest of it, yeah. and that happened, and I was like, mm, no. That is the bit that was memorable, though, because that's the bit that I remembered 26 years later when I started listening to this tape again. I don't think I'd particularly remembered the rest of it, but I definitely remembered that bit. Yeah. Um, they've got a bit of a local band in the 90s sort of vibe, but quite a lot of a local band in the 90s kind yeah. of vibe. Yes. Yeah, I yeah, like I, could... I, I played with several of those bands. Yeah, you yeah. see them playing upstairs at a rock club 
at the sort of like yeah. 11 o'clock slot and there's about 20 people watching them but everyone else is like downstairs like uh, moshing to biohazard or something <clears throat> yeah, yeah yeah 100% mainline that's who they remind me of who played in yes. a few times <laughs> but yes, yeah, they, yes. Uh, they supported Tool which kind of makes sense because it reminds me of Peach a little bit which is Justin Chancellor's band before he joined Tool Oh. Um, they only put out one album, but it's it's worth a listen. It's really good. Yeah, so um, I think Lodestar did nothing and then broke up in 1997. That, that, yeah. that was it. That was them. <laughs> Done. See ya. <laughs> Pretty much. And then I think they all rejoined uh, Sensor years later. Makes sense. Uh. <laughs> I nearly did that myself, and I was like, no, that's a shit joke. I'll wait for Colin to do it. <laughs> you can always rely on me for shit jokes. Absolutely. Uh, Let's go for the next song. So this is Crazy Gods of Endless Noise and Razor Baby. Uh, I think it is a very safe bet that this band own both Blood Sugar Sex Magic and Faith No More's The Real Thing. And have never heard what actual noise sounds like. <laughs> Crazy Gods of Endless Funk Metal. Yes. <laughs> it's another one with a very sort of local band in the 90s sound, but a different local band in the 90s sound. This reminds me of uh, Scatterbrain and Alice's Garden, who used to play in Tamworth loads. Because uh, they sure, were from Tamworth. I'm yes. sure there were bands in every town that sounded like that. Mm-hmm. I fucking loved it at the time. It's very, very dated. <laughs> I think they would have done well at like a surf festival in Newquay. Yes. About 2001, they would have been like the main band. But yeah, no, not not for <laughs> me. Sounds a bit like reef in parts as well. And like that main riff, it's really familiar and I don't know where I know it from. It's really the, the main riff that I do. It's quite catchy, yeah. but mm. I can't I can't put my finger on what it reminds me of. Could it be Incubus? I don't know. There's a definite Incubusness about yeah. them as well. Yeah, yeah there's, there's definitely not... bongos in there, isn't there? There's a, a bongo vibe, like, like flowing through it. I was trying to forget about that. Do <laughs> <laughs> we go for the next one then? Yeah. So this is Feeder and Shade. So for anybody keeping score, this is the seventh time Feeder have appeared on a free tape or free CD that we've covered, meaning that they are now joint with Ash in the lead of the bands with the most appearances. And this is actually a pretty good one. This is it also is. another one that would have appeared on the Gaz Jones 1996 uh, tape yes. <laughs> that he made for a friend. <laughs> Absolutely. Same, same with me. I love old Feeder from this point. Oh. Mainly because I love the Smashing Pumpkins. It's the best. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out there, go out on a limb. I say this is possibly highlighting the tape, mate. 
I'd say it's possibly the best song they had on the Swim EP, and it's possibly one of the best songs that Feeder did. I love it. This is the song that introduced me to Feeder, and I went out and bought Polythene when it came out, and I just, I, I really, really love this band. And I think this yeah. song is brilliant, absolutely brilliant. I met them uh, a couple of times, actually, when I was a smelly 15-year-old at the Ilford Island, if anyone remembers that venue. Um, like the bands we were talking about earlier on, they were playing a club night, and they just popped yeah. up upstairs and just started playing uh, like on a couple of nights. And um, I went down there earlier on during the day because that's what you did when you were 15. You were really thirsty. <laughs> so yeah, 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 yeah. Stars. So I went down there during the day and I met Grant and John and they like, signed loads of stuff for me. And they were really Oh, nice. no Tucker. No, he wasn't around. He's probably doing his hair in the, uh, the bathroom <laughs> getting it to stick up or, or putting on his orange boiler suit or something. But... They were really lovely guys. Polishing his glittery base. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, honestly, I just, I really, like, have such a soft spot for this band. I think they were just fantastic. It, it, it's not my favourite of all the feeder songs that we've covered, because My Perfect Day is, oh, I yeah, think, the best yeah, song they ever did. Okay, I, I would put that up there as maybe, like, top three. My Perfect Day is brilliant. But this, My Perfect Day, Descend, are all absolutely amazing songs. Yeah. I was just so disappointed when they started singing about um, this. What's that song about? It's uh, Jaguar or whatever it was. It's got, leather, <laughs> it's got leather seats and a CD player. I was like, oh, come on, Feeder. Like, I remember hearing that and I was like, you can do so much better than that. I was really I was really disappointed when they went down that route. I was like, oh. Yeah, yeah, that really... wasn't great. Record buying public thought it was good, though. Oh, I mean, they I... were like really high up on Reading Bills, you know, headlining yeah. places. Good for them, you know, fantastic for that, them. What does it matter? What that's I the think? album that, you know, that that's the song that's their pension, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> what is that song called? Um... Uh, oh, it's a name, isn't it? it I, I've got the, all the lyrics in my head, and I don't think it says the lyrics in it anyway. Anyway. Buck Rogers. Buck it's Buck Rogers. Yeah, Buck Rogers. Correct. Yeah, Fucking stupid name. <laughs> stupid name, stupid song. I, I do suspect that that was a song about trying to cheer their drummer up before he killed himself, though. Like, right. Because, <laughs> like, the chorus is, I think he's, we're going to make it, I think we're going to save you, yeah, so don't try and fake it anymore. Like, it does kind yeah. of yeah. ring like that. Not yeah, to make you feel like a cunt after that. you've said that the song is shit, but like, because <laughs> I I also think the song is shit, but I think one of the last times I was slagging it off, I was like, oh no, I, I don't <laughs> even remember those lyrics, but yeah, now I feel like a cunt. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I try my best. Um, like that, they've had much what? shitter ones after that, anyway. Yeah, I mean, that was such a shame. But um, I mean, at this point, Kerrang were all over Feeder. They were like. They were bigging them up as much as Symposium, Free Colours Red. They were kind of like, they were the band, weren't they, really, in Kerrang? They were... Yeah, well, they, around they... around this sort of time, there was a, a Kerrang-sponsored tour with Feeder, Lodestar, and the Crazy Gods of Endless Noise. The Twister so, tour, I think it was that's, called. That's the one. And yeah. I, I think it was the Crazy Gods of Endless Noise that had to pull out of the tour because their singer got laryngitis. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there, believe, there's a lot so. of uh, lot of reports about that in the two Kerrang issues that I've been reading. Yeah, I mean, judging from that last song we heard by Crazy Gods of Edlin, Endless Noise, it wasn't that much of a loss for anyone, was it really? No, <laughs> no. Particularly if Feeder got to play a longer setback, then they were brilliant. 
Well, exactly. <laughs> they've all the like good B sides and stuff as well, like um, WIT yeah. and yeah, like, some of the like B sides they had on their singles were just as good as the stuff they were putting out on their albums. They were just a yeah, consistently well, yeah. great band. WIT was on the um, Metal Hammer CD that came out the same week as this, the same month. Oh, um, yeah, because we we covered that uh, our second ever episode. WIT uh. stands for Women in Towels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? No idea. <laughs> I think it's just a song about liking women in towels. Fair enough. I mean, Which who doesn't? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, they've got right, some like, tangerines as well, so it's not like. I don't think yeah. Grant Nicholas was really tapping into the, you know, like, top top lyric writing, was he really? Wasn't <laughs> no. Wasn't no. The greatest Great writer. poets of our time, Grant Nicholas. No. Uh, no. Not very Dickensian, <laughs> right. is he? Or Keats. <laughs> Let's go for the next one. So this is Joyrider and Fabulae, initially signed to Andy Cairn's Blunt record label and uh, fresh from a support slot with Terrorvision. They were very much part of the 90s brick rock scene. Now I understand why I only heard the one song by them. The one song that everybody knows by them was their cover of Jane Wiglin's Rush Hour. Which is fucking amazing. It is. Uh, th- that was a top 30 hit in the summer of 1996. And... Is I reckon up there with China Drums, Wuthering Heights in the leagues of 90s indie rock cover songs. There's a news story in this particular issue of Kerrang! about when they were on top of the pops performing that. Robbie Williams was on the same episode who they'd met at a couple of other gigs, so we sort of know them, and they got him completely wasted. <laughs> They're very vague in the story, but it's the gist is they were sharing their drugs with him. And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, he went and did the performance and then kept coming up to him and going, I'm off me head, lads. <laughs> Is this the Robbie Williams era where he'd left Take That and he was desperately trying yes. to be best mates with Oasis and, like, get into an indie band, but he just never did. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And bleached his hair. It, it was before he became massive again. Yeah. It was when he, when he was sort of doing mid-sized venues and, you know, his songs were going to sort of, you know, top 20, but not number one yeah um, and that kind of thing yeah but yeah well, Joy- I, I quite quite like that Joyride track Joyride song's good it's, it's very catchy it's a very good song um, it, yeah it's, I mean it's like you said I think it's cut from that sort of Wild Hearts honey crack three colours oh my god so much so very I, I assumed it was going to be like honey crack or the jellies or something like yeah, that yeah. yeah yeah very very similar a lot, a lot of those bands all did all kind of sound quite similar um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where they sort of all got their like sound from because they weren't all just copying each other. It's a, it's a strange one. I guess is that like certain scenes like in the UK where bands just sounded similar. Like you know you'd have like the Manchester <laughs> scene or whatever, but there was like the Brit rock scene. But then I don't know. I guess Terrorvision didn't really sound like Speeder, did they? But these like these few bands did all kind of sound similar. Yeah, it's it's more the Wild Hearts related sort of bands, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like you know, uh, Census things, and uh, Honey Crack, and, and uh, Three Colors Red, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and a lot of them 
had members that were either related to or were members of Wild Hearts at some point. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Joyrider, yeah, I don't think, did. But they've definitely got the sound. Yeah, they nailed it. Yeah. And I, I like the sound, so it's good. It's got some very, very 90s uh, guitar pick scrapes all over this track. <laughs> Love a good pick scrape. Yeah. Right, let's uh, flip the tape over for side two then. Okay. This is Corn and Good God. This is the exact moment when everything changed. Up until this point, I was into pop punk, Brit rock, indie, and a little bit of metal like Metallica or Rage Against Machine. But this is where it's where new metal began for me. And I've got really strong memories of me and my friends at school discussing this track. I can remember we were supposed to be playing football or rugby in a PE lesson. And I can remember us all trying to avoid actually having to do anything and standing there talking about how, you know, I've never heard a guitar that sounds that heavy or anything like that. And, you know, at first we were like, how the hell do they do it before we realised that there were seven string guitars? Yeah. Yeah, within a few months of this, we got tickets to see them live the following January. And I think one of our friendship group had bought the first Corn album and then the rest of us had all taped it. And then, you know, somebody else got Life is Peachy. I didn't own either of them. The first Corn album I actually bought was uh, Follow the Leader. Oh, dude. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. <laughs> but I, I, I'd had both of the other two taped, uh, which I completely wore out the tape for years. Like it was fully, fully diminishing returns from the first album for me. Yeah, same. same. That's, that's fair. Yeah, I, I think same. It's almost like I'm, they sort of went on a similar trajectory to Machine Head. First album was the best, second one was quite good, and then it just went steadily, like, badly downhill. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, as, um, as a sweaty 15-year-old mosher, this was my absolute shit. I love this so much. I've got, um, I've got a theory about this song. So I think this song is the birth of um, that dance that everyone did in rock clubs, you know, where they would, like, hold their hands over the face, but then they would look off to the side to be a bit spooky. And I think oh, this yes. is the one that, like, Cold Chamber, they went on to, like, yeah. master this and they excelled at this. But I think, like, this, like, this, this is, yeah, like you said, the birth of new metal. That is the birth of that dance that everyone did in rock mm-hmm. dance. You know, it was like, girl, like, girls and guys wore too much black makeup and all just looked to, like looked up at the sky and looked look up and all looked a bit spooky. Yeah. Well, yeah. I've, I've heard uh, Andrew O'Neill point out that if you look at photos of Cold Chamber, there's always at least one of the band standing there as if they've got a broken neck. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and there's always something more interesting going on away from the camera. They're always yeah, yeah, yeah. off to the side. Yeah. I mean, this, they... song, this song was brilliant. I, I first heard this song live rather than hearing it on, oh, um, man. on what's it called? Yeah, on, yeah. On this tape. Because they played this at the Astoria, so that's the second gig I ever went to. Um, yeah. And this is the only new song that they've played. And um, okay. I think when yeah. when Life Is Peachy came out, 
um, the original CD. It came with a CD-ROM extra, which was like, whoa, CD-ROM, yes. oh my God. At that yeah, point. yeah, I remember and that. And the CD-ROM extra was Good God from that Astoria show. And yes. I could never, ever get it to work on my uncle's computer because I didn't have a computer. And my uncle's computer, it would play like the first like second or two and then it would crash. And it was the <sighs> most frustrating thing ever because I just... I wanted to watch it back because I was at that gig. See if you're in it, yeah. yeah. Still never actually seen it back like properly. We used to go around my mate Dan's house and watch it on his computer because he'd got the CD. I can remember us sitting there doing an afternoon of watching loads of CD extra stuff. Like, you know, going through like Incubus CDs and then the uh, Machine Head Tenton Hammer video and stuff like that. Yeah. Off the uh, Radio Kerrang Volume 1. But yeah, on this tape, so far, nearly everything could have come out in 1993 but this is the first track on there and probably the only one maybe two that sounded like the future and now sounds exactly like 1996 yeah Yeah. i feel like at the time i was like fuck me this is so angry it's amazing and now he just sounds like he's had a particularly bad day and he's trying to like uh, it's like he's in a shop or something and someone's asking him too many questions. <laughs> it's like, would you get the fuck out of my place? Now! I've had a terrible day. Please leave me alone. I wish to go home and bathe in my millions of dollars. So um, I still think I, it sounds great, though. It, the riff sounds yeah. great. That riff yeah. is a heavy... That is a hard rip. That is, yeah, because they're playing like open one on the seven string, which is yeah. tuned down to like, I don't know, like Z or something. It's tuned down to like A or something. It's stupid. It's just, yeah. Because uh, I remember obviously playing, trying to play along on my like six string guitar and I would tune it down yeah. to like D or C and I could never get it. And like, obviously it wouldn't go any lower because I didn't have a seven string guitar. And it's like, how do they make it? I didn't really know about seven string guitars. I was like, yeah. how are they doing this? It, like, it felt like witchcraft. It was like, like trying to play along with that. This, yeah, it was brilliant. Uh, the following yeah. summer, there was a uh, issue of Guitar World magazine, uh, which is the American guitar magazine that you used to be able to get on import, yeah. that had got Korn, uh, Marilyn Manson and Pantera. It was the, the, the summer of loud. And it had got Tab in there for Good God and various other sort of corn riffs as well. And I remember at the time thinking, but most of the people that have bought this will not be able to play that because they don't have the seventh string. No. Yep. Back then, no, you know, di- these days, they and, and in the interim years, you had budget seven strings got brought out. But at that point, it was only the Ibanez Gem 777, pretty much. Universe. The universe. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, Universe 777, was it, which was about was, a grand and a half. Oh, mm-hmm. Was it Joe Satriani or was it Steve Vai? Steve Vai. Steve Vai, yeah. Steve yeah. I knew it was one of those. It was either those two or Angry Mountain, but it was one of the King Winners. Yeah. But it, it's this is one of the few new metal songs that actually properly justifies using the seven string. Yeah. Because it uses the high strings as well. Because, yeah. you know, Cold Chamber and uh, a lot of the other bands like that, you could just down-tune a, a six-string or use a, a baritone or something. Yeah, that's what I did. I just put a seven-string set for my guitar and just put the lower ones on. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Drop yeah, A for days. Sense. It was brilliant. One thing <laughs> I um, did 
I did find out while I was uh, looking this up was that there was all, all the, the when the single came out for Good God, there was loads of remixes, and one of the yeah. remixes was called the Heart Floor Remix, and it was done by Ramstein, which I was really surprised about because I didn't right. know that Ramstein were really like. Well, I think I remember in like Kerrang earlier on this year, there was a Ramstein single reviewed. Yeah, and they just they just got laughed at by the. Um, I, was, I think it might have been Claire Dells or someone like that. It got like one or two Ks, and it was just like awful, awful German industrial. She like very. Would I, Do Hass was the next year. It was '97. Yeah, so, uh, was, so it, this would have been up. when yeah. the first album was out, which is yeah. a fucking banger if you ask me. But you know, yeah, yeah, I I wasn't aware that that was Rammstein that had done the Heart Floor remix. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's it's on a. Uh, I think it was on the Kerrang! SummerSlam CD. So at some point we will we will get to it, I'm sure. Uh, it's, de- it's definitely on a Kerrang! CD at some point. But yeah, I, I uh, at the time bought all of the Corn, Good God, well, both of the CD singles and had a tape with a load of like new metal remixes and stuff on there. Um, I um, I was I was a bit of a Corn fanatic for those few years. And I like, yeah. I remember going up to Metalheads in Camden and they had loads of like rare, like corn, like CD singles, like a one, like one track CD single of clown promos, and yeah, like yeah. Uh, the Good God French remixes, and I think Shoots and Ladders on Ten Inch Vinyl, and I think I had some birthday money, and all the ones and spent about seventy quid on all this like <laughs> nice. corn stuff that is now worth about five p. Because yeah, I've, I've looked it up on discogs. I'm like, come on, it must be worth something. It's worth nothing. It's worth about five. I'm like, god damn it. But yeah, I really like was trying to buy up everything they did um, yeah, yeah, until yeah. follow until follow the leader came out, and then I was like, eh, I think I'm <laughs> done. Yeah, yeah, after the uh, All in the Family with Fred Durst, that's that's just not a good song in any way. Oh, no, no. <laughs> like, there are some okay songs on Follow the Leader. I really think Issues was the one where that was it. I think I, that was when I gave up yeah. with Corn. I was like, that's that's the last album I'm getting the birds. And cool. then, uh, and then there, there they were in the 2000s doing a dubstep album. So I think I made the right choice. <laughs> right, let's go for the next song. <clears throat> okay. This is Corrosion of Conformity and Man or Ash. This particular tape came out, as I said earlier, a few days after I saw them supporting Metallica at Birmingham NEC, which was the first gig I ever went to without my parents. This is sort of a bit of a coup for Kerrang! to have this song on the tape because it's got James Hetfield on backing vocals. Yep. Metallica never appeared on a free CD or tape until 2011. Mm. Uh, wow. When they're on Kerrang's 30th anniversary CD. But he is uncredited on the album and Kerrang don't mention it in the issue, so they might not have particularly known about it. Because you'd imagine that they would mention that if they were yeah, aware of like it. Like repeatedly. Yeah. And it's it's strange actually, because once you realise that he's singing backup vocals, when you listen to it, you can really hear him. Like in exactly. the chorus. Like you can yeah. really hear him, which is yeah. um Yeah, which is great. 
even though he doesn't go, yeah. At all. <laughs> yeah, not, <laughs> yeah. not once. <laughs> yeah, because him and, him and Pepper are really good mates, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, that's why Corona Conformity was supporting them. Yeah, and why and, uh, he auditioned as the bass player for Metallica as well. Yeah, yeah, which uh, would have been a good fit, I think. Yeah, it would have been cool, but like it would have meant no more Corrosion albums, and which is going. It would have been a shame. Yeah, because yeah, they've they've done more good albums than Metallica have recently. Right. I'm gonna say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Also, Reed Mullins, a fucking wicked drummer. Yes, was sorry, was yeah, a fucking yeah. wicked drummer. Yeah, that, like, that whole band are amazing. Yeah, like the drum fill at the start of Albatross is like the perfect drum fill for me. Yeah. What Wise Blood is an album that I think, I think it gets sort of looked down on a bit, mainly because it's not Deliverance. Um, yes, but it, it is a good record. I mean, King of the Rotten, we've we've said quite a few times, is amazing. But the the whole record is good. It's it's worth giving it a listen sometimes. Yeah, I think Crazy and Conformity are just one of those really solid bands. They just kind of like consistently put out decent stuff. Yeah, I think the only wobble they had was when they decided they just wanted to be called COC and release an album that just had cock on the front. (laughs) (laughs) They just did not think that one through. Or they did. Yeah, maybe they did. Maybe they're like, no, this is going to be fucking sick. It'll be hilarious. Let's do it. (laughs) Uh, Right, let's go for the next song. This is Cathedral and Suicide Asteroid. Ex-Napalm death singer Lee Dorian's Mad as a Bastard do metal band. It's a bit rubbish, really, but it's the most fun thing in the universe, and I bloody love it. Yeah, I feel like at the time, I'd have been like, Jesus Christ, this vocalist is awful and skipped it. But <laughs> now, I just like you can just tell he's having a fucking blast. He's, he's, he's singing about black and green wizards, which, you know, obviously he's very much enjoying doing so. Yep. I, I actually find it impossible uh, to listen to Cathedral and not read the lyrics. Um, like <laughs> Kerrang, Kerrang in their blurb, they say, they've been labelled mad as toasters in caftans, which, which is, I think is amazing. But like yep. the lyrics I've pulled out from this one were Captain Desolation, Disaster in Command, Fatal Destination, Astral Suicide. Brilliant. <laughs> what does that mean, Lee Dorian? No idea. Pass the acid. Fantastic. <laughs> yep. I love it. Absolutely brilliant. Oh, it's just amazing. I love it so much. Yeah. They're fun, aren't they? You're right. They're, they're just a fun band. They're sort of like they're like the Stone of Rock Man of War or something. They're just like, <laughs> they're just sort of they're just completely bonkers, but just brilliant. Yeah, you, you can't dis. I don't think you can dislike Cathedral really. No, I remember I was doing press at Bloodstock, and someone was like, "Oh, have you heard that Cathedral, the surprise band, and they're on in a second? And I was like, "What?" No way. <laughs> I am not doing any more interviews for like, uh, how long is their set? 45 minutes. Okay, back in a bit. Just yeah, ran yeah, off. Yeah. 
And then he did this big inter- like thing. He's like, I've been walking through the campsites and I've seen plenty of witches. And I'm Matthew Hopkins. And I was like, yes, yes. <laughs> just me at the like towards the back of the crowd, just losing my shit. And people are like, what? What's your fucking problem? And I was like, it's about to go down. <laughs> uh, there's a teacher at my daughter's school called Miss Hopkins. And at some point, I'm sure she's going to get in trouble because of me. Because every time she mentions her, I have to go, I am Matthew Hopkins, Witchfinder. And Elodie started doing it. And if she says it at school, she's probably going to get in trouble. <laughs> but yeah. it'd be worth it. <laughs> it's totally worth it. And then she goes, like, uh, Daddy plays me cathedral. <laughs> the teacher will be so confused. <laughs> we'll, we'll put Urko's Conquest on instead. <laughs> yeah. There, there isn't a Mr. Urko at the school, as far as I know. <laughs> right, let's go for the next song. Okay. They swear they tell the truth. Yet hide the truth, deny the truth. Kill the truth and destroy the truth. So why call on God? The Mighty Dub War and Enemy Maker. Along with the Corn track, this is the only track that genuinely sounded like it couldn't have been released earlier. Yeah. Although it had, because it was a single in late 95. I don't think I'd heard it at the time, but I definitely picked up a second-hand copy of it from the, the little second-hand record shop in Tamworth not yeah, long yeah. afterwards. I love it. It's still my favourite Dub War song. Oh, really? Yeah. I like Strike It's great as well. Gorrit's brilliant. You know, they're a fucking brilliant band. But... It is really awesome to see 27 years later, Benji Webb finally getting the sort of respect that he deserves. Yeah, he's been working hard for a long, long time. He has, and and Skindred are sort of finally getting almost mainstream recognition. He was on BBC Breakfast a couple of weeks ago. Oh, wow. Um, I think it was was today I saw on Instagram because I follow Skindred Dub War and I think Skindred are going to be on Jules Holland soon, which is just an incredible thing for them. Like, that is, yeah, obviously, they almost had that number one album, but like being on Jules Holland, that's a real like tick from the sort of mainstream, but like, okay, Mm. we're sort of accepted now because you're right, Benji's been doing this for what, like 30 years easily. It's just consistently in bands consistently touring consistently releasing records and amazing yeah until like 2023 him and his band are finally getting recognition it's kind of it's kind of, it's kind of beautiful actually it's really yeah 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 really good because he seems like such a good dude as well yeah. yes absolutely uh number two the album got to in in the, the uk yeah. album charts which is a massive achievement particularly mm. for oh, a huge what used to be fairly obscure ragga metal band. Yeah, fuck's sake. I saw him in the crew at Nunny. Yeah, it's tiny. I remember Skindred as just the band that supported Soulfly a lot. That was kind yeah. of... And it was ex-Dub War. You know, that was that was my kind of... Yeah, like, thinking with them. One of their songs went viral on TikTok earlier in the year. I think that's what's uh, sort of helped them along, yeah. which is which is brilliant. More yeah, of that of needs course. to happen. It, it's mm-hmm. great. But um, there's also... He was on Nevermind the Buzzcocks the other week as well. Yeah, oh, yeah, really? I heard that. I, did, I haven't seen it yet. Is it good? I've seen a few clips. I haven't got Sky, so I haven't seen the whole thing, but there's a few ah, clips yeah. on YouTube. And also, 
my favourite thing that he's done in the last year or so, Punk Rock Factory, who are just one of the most fun bands in the universe that do loads of covers and stuff. He is a guest vocalist on their cover of Shiny from Moana. Nice. Utterly fucking amazing. <laughs> Brilliant. That um, is cool. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Big up Benji, you know, Dub War are amazing, Skin Dread are amazing, totally deserve, you know, everything they get. And, uh, you know, he invented the Newport helicopter, which is utterly fantastic. It is. <laughs> the clip of him on BBC Breakfast the other day, they're showing the audience that, so, you know, people's nans watching the telly in the morning have seen the Newport helicopter now. Which is amazing. <laughs> you imagine it, you know, happening in bingo clubs up and down the country. No, because it involves taking your shirt off. Oh, God, yeah. Take your jacket off and do it. Yeah, yeah. Take your cardigan off. They'd love it in the bingo clubs after a couple of G&Ts. They'd all be doing yeah. Throwing their it. shoulders out. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> oh, Ethel's had a fall again. That nice man from Dubbo <laughs> told me I could do this. Now my shoulder is damaged. Oh, they get sued, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah. Don't actually, you, maybe don't. Not allowed to sue Benji. He's he's a national treasure. He is. <laughs> right, let's go for the next song. This is Sponge and I am Anastasia. Sadly, not the pigeon kicking scar punk band from Tewkesbury. Um, that is exactly what I wrote in my notes. This lot are not kicking pigeons in the park. They're not. Uh, <laughs> this, this is the far more earnest band from Detroit. Uh, I think I kind of liked this at the time, but it's so ridiculously dated and humorless that I just can't be bothered with it these days. Also, uh, Anastasia. Oh, yeah. it's so annoying. It's so <laughs> annoying. You said it. it the, the title is I Am Anastasia, not yeah. Anastasia. Oh, God. <laughs> Awful. Was that like Kar- Kerrang in their write-up describe it as ultra-hypnotic? But as far as I can see, that's only sort of in terms of it puts you into a deep sleep when you're listening to it. Um, yeah, it's, I, it's that kind of like middle of the road, like American, like Matchbox Twenty, Goo Goo Dolls, yeah. but nowhere near as good as either of those bands. It's just, mm-hmm. a bit, just a bit like, yeah, middle America, like soft rock. You can imagine Brian Adams coming on afterwards, and I like Brian Adams. I'm not <laughs> mocking him. But you could just imagine the same sort of like, uh, like vibe. So yeah. One one thing I did notice on that listen through that I didn't before though. I'm fairly certain Marilyn Manson absolutely fucking stole this for the, uh, is it Coma White, I think, on uh, Mechanical Animals? Uh, you uh, were from a perfect world, the world that threw me away today, that one. It, it, you could sing that over the top of it and it worked perfectly and that was two years after. And I think Sponge were quite big in America. There's a good chance he would have heard it. But, eh, it's just a bit meh, isn't it? Yeah. Apparently, they're still a band in 2023. 
I don't know who cares, but apparently they are. No. Yeah. If they had if they had brackets and a U in the name, then I would care. <laughs> would you though? Would well, you? yeah. Me and Ian supported them once. <laughs> yeah. Really? <laughs> Uh, we did, somehow, I, I was standing in in bass on Ian's band. Was it SA10 or Kill Minus? It was SA10, yes. Yeah, yeah. So somehow Ian's very, very heavy sort of groove metal type band. I, I was going to call it proto-new metal. Proto-new really. metal. We can go with that. <laughs> uh, somehow managed to end up on a bill for a pop-punk all-dayer at Rougie Retro oh, Theatre. <laughs> it was fun. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I've, I've, I've seen Sponge a couple of times because, yeah, they were obviously playing with, like, Lightyear and Cap Down and it was that yeah, whole, yeah, yeah. like, era. I remember a friend of mine once told me that they'd seen one of their set lists and on their set list it didn't just have the names of the songs but it had, like, stage movements and where <laughs> they needed to be exactly on each song and what the singer was going to say like between each song oh and, no and it, it was like choreographed like the whole set was choreographed that's disappointing it's that's not good is it i mean to be fair sponge their gig should all have been three and a half minutes long yeah because you didn't need anything other than kicking pigeons did you no, no apparently <laughs> they really liked us though so yeah yeah wasn't it that wasn't that gig just after one of their like one of the members of the band had accidentally poked one of his eyes out with a pair of pliers or something. Something ridiculous like that, <laughs> oh yeah. <God>. Yeah. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> uh, don't mix Scarpunk and uh, Tools, clearly. Yeah. Should we, should we go yeah. for the. Or final if you're going to do it, uh, at least write it down on your set list so you know where yeah, your eye is going to be versus the pliers. <laughs> that must have been it. It wasn't on the set list and. <laughs> Do I stick this in my eye? Uh, <laughs> I'm meant to do something with it. I know I'm meant to do something with it. That sounds right. I'm doing it. Ah! Let's go for the uh, final song on the tape. So this is Moby and Soft from Moby's Animal Rights record. Obviously a massive change in direction from the sort of ambient techno to Black Flag-influenced hardcore punk. I remember being really excited to hear another Moby track from that album because Someone to Love had been on a free CD and I thought it was yes. fucking amazing. Yeah. And this was not as good for me. It's not as good, but I still really like it. Yeah, yeah. I really dig the Animal Rights record. You know, it pretty much destroyed his career at the time until he released Play about five years later. Yeah. And he, he basically sort of resurrected his career by licensing every single song on the album to adverts, which is how I, he built his career back up. I don't think he cares. I, I think Moby's got a lot of things going on and none yeah. of them are caring about how successful he is. Yeah. No, that's fair. Yeah, which is noble in a way. I'm obviously he's trying to push through the vegan agenda, but it's not exactly Earth Crisis, is it? It's not, no. Uh, it's not really. Yeah, it, it, this one doesn't really do much for me, if I'm honest. This just sounds like a sort of crappy Nine Inch Nails. 
Um, I think the best review I read of this record was maybe somebody should try to convince Moby that guitars are actually made out of dead animals. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty good. That was a pretty, pretty cutting review. That was brutal. Um, Yeah, it is. (laughs) (laughs) It's really good. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Wikipedia says about this album, the album was released to mediocre critical reviews and commercial performance. According to Moby's manager, Eric Hull, Animal Rats nearly ended Moby's career because not only did the new direction leave audiences cold, with music media uninterested and his existing fan base largely alienated by it, but it led to people being confused as to what kind of artist Moby really was. Yeah. Which I think says a lot about Moby, really. Yeah. Kind of, he, he has been all over the place. You can't yeah. really pin him down to anything, which is kind of like, respectable. I quite yeah. you know, I appreciate that about him. Yeah, that's that's a very cool thing to be. Um, but I can get that, you know, it, it does mean that your audience aren't necessarily going to know whether they're going to like the next record. Mm. Um, mm. But there's quite a few successful bands that do shit like that. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah, I mean... Radiohead. It, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, I mean went, they just completely changed direction. Yeah, Kid A, obviously, at the time, there were so many people that completely hated it. Still do. I'm, I'm part. I'm part of that gang. I, <laughs> I, I love I'm a, it. I'm a Ben's OK Computer fan, and I, I, when they, yeah, those those records like Kid A in Rainbows, it just it left me cold. I get it. I totally, I totally get why people loved it. It, it just did yeah. nothing for me. I think because I was remembering how much I liked old Radiohead. Yeah, yeah it's fair, just a fair. totally different band. But that's fine. Bands move on. Bands change. You go with them. You don't go with them. That's you know, it. And not, they, and you the, the world. You've still got the old records. They've not deleted them from your collection. Exactly. Uh, so you can yeah, always exactly. go back and, and listen to the stuff previously. So that brings us to the end of this episode. Uh, we'll be back next week, all three of us again. But, uh, Stephen, just in case anybody hasn't listened to Kerrang! Back Issues, do you want to tell people a bit about that? Sure, yeah. I pick up an issue of Kerrang!, which I, I've collected for about, I collected for about six years in the 90s and never threw an issue away. And then every week I just go through the magazine, uh, just trying to pull out the fun stuff, reading interviews, live reviews, stuff like that. Trying trying to find the funny stuff. Some weeks there's funny stuff, some weeks there's nothing funny at all. <laughs> and it just talks about Marilyn Manson, which I'm really struggling with this year. I'm really struggling with having to talk about him because obviously what we know in 2023 is yeah. um, quite difficult, uh, sorry, different to what we know in 1996. So, yeah, that's been, that's been a challenge. But, you know, I, I, lo- I love doing it. It's really fun. Uh, and I get to come on podcasts such as this one and chat to you guys about rock, which I just love. You know, it's really, yeah. really good fun. Uh, if anyone wants to find us on Instagram, it's Back Issues, Twitter, KerrangPod, and email KerrangBackIssues at gmail.com. Awesome. And, of, of course, we're on Spotify and Apple Music and all those. All those places where you get your podcasts. Wherever you get your podcasts. Exactly. Brilliant. We will be back next week with Kerrang! Supersonic Volume 2. So thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Bye. Another endearingly shambolic podcast from WeDigPodcasts.com Hi, I'm Colin. I'm Ian. And I'm Tracy. And we dig music. Just not always the same music. Each episode, we pick our 10 favourite songs from a specific year, rate them, and then battle it out over a top 30 countdown. Colin's pretty enthusiastic about most stuff, Ian less so. Tracy definitely owns a thesaurus.
and one of us will regularly be told to fuck off. <laughs> so join us each month to hear what we dig and what we don't. Listen to We Dig Music wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on WeDigPodcast.com or we're on the We Made This Podcast Network, which you can find at WeMadeThisNetwork.com.